Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching Clubland, we speak to Omar Phillips. Born in Barbados, Omar played two tests for the West Indies in 2009 against Bangladesh during a time when there was a player's strike. Despite the late call-up, Omar quickly acquitted himself and scored 94 on debut. He played a total of 57 first-class games for combined campuses and colleges and Barbados, as well as 18 list day games and 5 T20 games. Omar then made the move down under, where he's been the senior coach of the Strathmore Cricket Club since 2018. He quickly established himself as a gun player, leader and coach in local cricket and made an immediate impact at the club having won the senior division premiership in season 2018-19. He also has a growing private coaching business and thoroughly enjoys seeing young people improve. In our chat with Omar, we talk about the standard of first class cricket and coaching access in the Caribbean, his first impressions of Australian club cricket and the emphasis he places on having strong mentors. This episode is proudly brought to you by Ferox Cricket. An ICC-endorsed and preferred brand of both international players and cricketers in Clubland alike, Ferox Cricket supplies elite quality cricket gear at affordable prices. Contact Kane and the Ferox team on Facebook or Instagram. Alrighty, let's get stuck into the episode. Welcome to the Coaching Clubland podcast, Omar Phillips. Hey Mitch, good to be on, on this podcast, my first ever podcast, so <laughs> we'll see how we uh, get on. No, I'm sure you'll do well, mate. We've had a couple of good chats over the years, and uh, I know a few of the boys that you, you've you led at Strathmore speak very highly of you, so I'm looking forward to having you on the podcast. And you made your debut for the Windies against Bangladesh in 2009, and it was during a time of turmoil with the player strike that was going on. But you made 94 in debut, which was an incredible effort. What are some of your recollections from, from this particular game and, and your time in the West Indies setup? Oh, firstly, um, it was a strange call because I remember getting the call one evening around seven o'clock. Uh, uh, you've been selected for West Indies. <laughs> I thought it was one of my friends pranking me because <laughs> we got a guy called um, Chadwick Walton who usually is good at pranking people and pretending to be selectors and stuff. So I, I said to the guy, uh, just get real. But then he's like, no, yeah, it's um, Clyde Butts. And I was like, no, no, no. So at first I went to, to put the phone down and then I said, no, no, just listen out and hear what he has to say. He said, yeah, you've been selected, uh, but you need to travel tonight. I was like, well, it's six o'clock in the evening. But then uh, I got called from my coach at that time, who was Floy Reefer, who ended up uh, being the captain. And he said, yeah, yeah, you've been selected to go because the players have gone on strike. And he said, would you be interested? I was like, what? Well, you would never turn on the opportunity to play for West Indies, never. Uh, I said, yes. So I got off the phone, quickly packed. We were on a flight around nine o'clock. I think that's what, nine o'clock. So it was late, headed to St. Vincent. It took me a while to get in the moment that, yeah, you're actually going to play for West Indies. So we got there. The training sessions was a, a lot different to what we were accustomed to, more high level. I remember the first day after the first training session, I can't remember what happened after because I was asleep. I was 
completely smashed because uh, of the level of fitness work and different ways they go about the training. So we came from one level to the next. So it was like going from 50% to 100 head on. And it was uh, Bennett King, coach at the time, the Windies, is that right? Yeah, he was in at the time. Very good man. Very lighthearted in, in terms of he's free spirited uh, in the dressing room, made it so uh, comfortable for us to settle in. I thought he was like looking at him, I thought he would have been more a strict person, but he was good fun. Enjoyed my couple of games with him. And you actually did quite well across your two tests there. I mean, you, you got a, a 94 and a few starts there as well. And obviously the players, you know, came back from their strike. But was there was there interest going forward beyond those two tests that they were still going to keep you around the setup? Um, I thought, to be honest, I, I, I was looking forward to heading to be going to the ICC Champions Trophy, but then I didn't get in the squad. But that didn't really stop my ambition to carry on. Um, then the tour to Australia. I remember they were going to Australia when the likes of Mitchell Johnson and them was really hammering down 90 miles. And I would sit there like, is it reality check? to know you're going to be heading up against a good four-prone pace attack. But then, obviously, when the squad came out, I wasn't in it. I felt disappointed, but I guess that's the way it goes sometimes. Absolutely. And can you tell us about the first-class structure in the Caribbean and the quality of cricket and the conditions and access to coaching that you experienced? I know that as a spinner myself, I sort of you know uh, keep an eye on some of the spinners that seem to clean up over there with the conditions and that you know Cornwall and... Nikita Miller and these guys really uh, take wickets year in, year out. What are some of the facilities and uh, access to coaching that uh, first-class cricketers get over there? All right, I'll speak for my structure. Um, in Barbados, we got a program where all the cricketers, are, obviously, if you're contracted, you go in every day. And you got, I think there's around four coaches who are around to cater to your needs. So you always you know, get a chance to improve your game. Barbers had a good structure. I think the other one would have been Trinidad, who I spent some time there, just playing some club cricket. They have like good structures and in terms of finances, they look after their cricket is good as well. In terms of the pitches and stuff, over the years, they got more spinner friendly, uh, I guess probably from overuse or lack of preparation and what's not. But well, when I used to watch Barbara's first last games, it used to be the Pacers used to dominate, especially if they go to Jamaica. Everyone wanted to go to Jamaica to be a, to, to play, to obviously, if you're a fastball, because then you dominate, obviously, the batters, because there's a lot more pace up the surface, more bounce. Rather than going to the likes of Trinidad or, or to Guyana. When you go to Guyana, guarantee spend bowling from over number one. So as a batter, you don't want to go to Guyana, especially if you struggle to play spin because they probably play one quick and then after that, it's spin for the rest of the day. And in terms of coaching, was there much there for you with nurturing and with technical development or was it very much left to your own devices? When I started, I started at combined campuses and colleges, which is the university setup where you got different campuses coming together and colleges that made up of players from across the region. So we had proper facility where I used to be able to train three times a day. So I always had access to a coach. And obviously when I moved in 2010 over to Barbados, it was a little slightly different because they don't have an indoor facility, but they still had the coaching capacity. And I remember when I went there, it was in the spring at the time. We've actually grown to have a good relationship. And he's one that helped bring me over the line. And I had 
the time you had my own on the 15 on the 19 coach that's the top end and a couple of other farmer like test cricketers that came back to work there with the younger generation so they had a proper structure they were probably first to actually embrace having a coaching base and West Indies have had a revolving door of coaches in, in recent years and, and pretty high caliber coaches too Phil Simmons Stuart Law Otis Gibson to name a few what are some of the challenges that these guys would have experienced bringing together a group of players from different islands to essentially play under the regional banner? And are there some politics at play? Well, one of, one of the, the biggest downfalls I think that we have is when getting camps together, um, especially when you've got high-profile coaches where, like in Australia, you've got high-profile in different states. So it's easier to get them together in, in a particular area, whether at home is the biggest struggle is finances. So to put a proper group together in, say, a camp for a month, it's hard because the cost is so much. And then when it comes to the boards over the years, we're looking at it, the, the teams like Leewards and Wenwards, the lesser teams, they will struggle to get a big contingency in the training camp. So And that, that used to bring uh, like a bit of animosity in between the groups and the talent is, is is not what we lack. And I think we just missed the bar when it comes to putting the final pieces together and having the resources to push these guys to the next level. And when you look at like structures in England, structures obviously in Australia, and now we look at New Zealand, who's starting to rise. If you look at in our younger group, we match these guys head to head. Because at that age, it's natural talent playing against these guys who have to work a certain way to get to that point. But after, in the system that we have, we get some of the guys that who have massive talent are lost because after, if you don't make the senior team, there's nothing else to fall back on. I have to admit, my first summer in Australia where I was into cricket was, I think, 96, 97, and the Windies were out here, and there was Lara, Chanderpaul, Hooper, Ambrose Walsh, and uh, that was probably the last little bit of their successful era before they really dropped off um, quite quickly. And ever since that summer, I've had a real interest in West Indies cricket, and always hoping that they can compete. And they have their they've had their moments, you know, the two thousand four Champions Trophy and the the two twenty twenty World Cups they won. But even you see, uh, I think overnight, you know, they've lost to South Africa by an innings in, in inside three days, and just the performances yeah. seem very inconsistent still, don't they? I thought that it was quite interesting to look at that um, team. It was a decent team on paper, but you're looking at the experience. You're playing against a South African lineup, a proper bowling attack. And the way we went about it, firstly, we didn't approach it how I thought, especially having the experience and know that early in St. Lucia is always the bowlers who, who are going to be on top. So I thought that we would have used home advantage and come from behind, but uh, I think, especially looking at the experience of our batters, it's been a big letdown for the last couple of years. It all comes down to preparation. And as I said, back to the structure, we don't have that structure. When a guy is in a rut, who's obviously feeling, and where do we go from here? That's, that's how it looked to me. We don't have the academies for guys to develop. If you look at England, they've got so many academies. Australia, same thing. As I said, again, if you look back at Trinidad, got two indoor facilities. Jamaica, I don't think, got any. 
Barbados got one, which is at the campus, and that's not Barbados's facility. So it's still, I think as, a, as each country should invest in having an academy, but we go back to cost again. And that's the problem when we had the only academy at that time when we were doing good wear, the likes of the Jason Holders and the Shamar Brooks and a couple of other guys at Machine Dorich, they came through that system, the poles, the Kiran pole. So after that program collapsed and these guys went missing in the system because they had a couple of guys who were taught would be the next best thing. But then after it collapsed, they went missing because obviously only 15 people probably will be in a squad to play in the first last game. So what do you do after? That's, that's where we, we fall on is the resources are so limited. People look at West Indies, oh, they were so good back in the day. Everyone was on the same level back in the day. Now technology, people using data, we don't have that. And as I was saying, if you want to compete at the world stage, it just cannot be about the talent. It got to be down to science now. I think we are about probably five, six, probably 10, probably 10 years behind. And you just wonder if that infrastructure was there and the investment with the natural talent that the players do have, how good the, the team would actually be. But we then shift to your, uh, your first experience with Australian club cricket where you arrived in 2018. What were your first impressions and what are some of the things that we do well over here in our club system? One of the things that uh, struck me well was the amount of um, kids that get the opportunity. Firstly, at home, you wouldn't find in senior cricket kids having a go in between seniors just like that. So that's one of the plus. Then having the facilities, some of the clubs that I've been to have some fantastic facilities and this is just club cricket. So it shows that they could nurture for development, junior programs, phenomenal. My first, first game was at Sunshine. Probably, it wasn't what I expected, but to see how they... How they warm up and how they went about their business. Um, I remember, I think it was Terry Nichols, I think it was the coach. Good man. Yeah, very good man. Um, I came out and I was like, oh, this is what it's like. Uh, very professional. And then the competitiveness among the clubs, the rivalries, serious rivalries over the, for my short couple of years. And then you hear actually the history of how all the rivalries came about. It's just, it's fantastic. You've got your own private coaching business too, Omar. And what are some of the batting fundamentals that you try and reinforce to some of the younger players that you have the opportunity to work with? Firstly, it's all about the hard work that you have to put in. Uh, the dedication is a different level. I remember for me and working with the courses that I work with, the hours you need to put in, repetition. Obviously, if you want to become better, you have to try to improve every 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 session and also look at your game personally uh, always instill them to try to be better each session for me just coming and having a session and not questioning the session or how you went or find out from the the client about they've missed it so i'll give them the the onus to know about their mistakes because remember the coaches are not there on the field when they're playing they're just on the sidelines we can't do nothing about once the game starts, we're out of it until a break or whatever. So you got to know your mistakes, know when something feels right and know when you're doing something wrong. So for me, just keep it simple. Put in your hard work. Uh, obviously, 
find out from the coaches or whatever because obviously you you will know as a coach when they go to the next level you don't you don't travel with them and obviously to trust in somebody that you feel comfortable talking about with especially with failures and one one thing that when I played against you last summer obviously you coached the club but not the captain at the time and your leadership really stood out to me you were very uh, active and encouraging the players and really having a bit of presence there and I think you and I had a few words you were sweeping me to the boundary for fun and uh, when I was <laughs> knocking them around you were had we had a few uh exchanges which was good fun but your leadership really stood out to me so when it comes to your leadership and coaching who are some of the mentors that you've tapped into from both a playing and coaching perspective when I first came up with the idea of becoming a coach this was my coach at home called Richard Straker, who he's one of the big trademarkers for the junior programs at home. So he was like, I think you would be good because you're always good with kids. And I was like, nah, I don't think, I don't want to become a coach because I know how, how much trouble I gave when I was a, a younger player. So, But then he was like, yeah, and you should go for it. And I wasn't sure. I didn't, don't think I had it in me. I was always a shy person, never one to try to go outside the box. Then there was my senior coach at that time, a Hindi Springer. I've been around him and I wanted to be like, hey, because like some of the chaps that we have now, even at Strathmore, I give them a piece of what he would do and they love it. So yeah, he's a funny guy, but when it comes to hard work, he's very a serious man. And I used to be scared of him, but then when we went to England, we became the best of friends. He would show me like how you look at different techniques, how you could work out a player in by just watching a couple of balls. And that was a good thing for me to carry into my career. And then I had obviously that's a top in who was my on the 15 to on any coach. He's different human being when it comes to working with juniors, some of the seniors as well. I had some fun times learning from him. And then Corey Cullimore, my cousin, he always believed in hard work. And that's why I try to give back to these boys, not trying to be a drill master or think I know it all, but what little knowledge I gain from these these guys, I try to help them to come true and to be better. And you would know as a coach, you don't know it all. You may have got to call a friend. And in, in the Caribbean, that's an area I think that we follow in as well. I mean, looking at, in terms of coaching programs, we, we don't have enough of that in the Caribbean to help at junior level. Like just as much as player education is is key, coaching education is key. So you need those programs to top up on, people to call on when when you got problems with actions and different techniques, because you don't know it all. We learn on the job the same way other people um, go to learn as a as a cricketer. So definitely coaches are always evolving and if you think you're the finished article uh, as a coach and you know everything about the game, you, you're sadly mistaken. And you mentioned Corey Collymore there. One of our earlier episodes is with Chris Rogers, who played against Corey a lot in county cricket and who spoke very highly of his ability to hit the seam and move the ball around and his control. He was, a, he was an excellent bowler, so it's a fantastic mentor to have. Now, in your time at Strathmore, what I really like about you, aside from leading a group really successfully with a senior senior squad there is your involvement across the juniors and female sections of the club as well. Have all of these roles been equally satisfying to you? It's funny. Yeah, well, I come in as the, the head coach, but for me, I get more satisfaction working with kids to see 
the smiles on their faces when they improve and perform. I remember, as I said, look back at myself when I had the ability to work with senior boys that played for West Indies and coaches that who I thought were brilliant. So I like to lend my time across the board, um, especially this this time I'm actually working with girls, which I've never done before. And some of them are even more keen than the boys. And it makes you, the type of questions they ask, they, they take your brain over. And I want to build the junior programs a little more. I think, as I said, we look back at the participation part of it. Um, some of these people, like the girls, they got the talent, but they need someone in the system to push them over. So that, that's where I lend my time. And as I said, I enjoy doing it because the fun you have and the questions they ask, the type of techniques they come with, it also helps you as a person. It even helps with your own game. I, I just love the idea of going into juniors and working sometimes. It helps, <laughs> helps with the brain. Absolutely. And there's a big arg- argument for our best coaches actually being involved in junior you know, systems because when cricketers are adults, a lot of their habits and technical patterns are sort of ingrained and you can't actually change all that much. Whereas when they're younger, um, they're a bit more of a blank canvas, so you can really see that change come about quickly. Now, Strathmore moving into the sub-district competition for next season. How is your planning tracking and what are some of the things that you want to uh, address as you start your preparations for season 2021-22? Yeah, first of all, I wasn't too sure on it at first because obviously I, I didn't really do much research in the, in the structure of it. But then I had some friends that played it was like you're gonna enjoy it and then I started tapping into it so for me looking at it now you have more experienced players and I've had a chance to play against a couple of the clubs in preseason uh, over the years I've been here and shows that we can compete and it's down to a different level of discipline now and looking at it you got better facilities probably better pitches better opposition who are gonna look at these guys differently so it's for me now to get our guys up to the next level when it comes to the mental capacity obviously to stay focused longer because as you go up in levels people scrutinize the game a lot more rather than probably in our club system where we play in the BTC a guy would just rock up to play on a weekend you know you got players who would probably know you after four balls know your weaknesses so you got to know how to stay disciplined especially at our level where you got experienced players coming back and they're going to be one side all day and force you to make mistakes rather than trying to blast you up. There's no for me to get my boys into gear. Obviously, I've had the experience to play at a high level and know what it takes to get your, your body right, obviously your mind right, and obviously you got to improve your, your technique in terms of more balls. you got to play more balls, probably leave more balls as an as a opener rather than be a slash and dash. Give them the, the mind capacity to capitalize by your bad balls because you won't get as much as probably playing on lower division. Because you know, obviously playing at a higher level, when you go up, the margin for error is so much less. In, in the first year, it may not be hitting all the bars and trying to obviously tick all the boxes, but this year is a, a year for us to see what it's like. If we could be competitive and what you're the areas you need to work on. So I'm looking forward to it. And obviously try to get preseason out of the way. I'm looking at a different model this year in terms of how I go about the training sessions. So that's something to look forward to. It should be fun for them. If if you come with an open mind, 
And if you got that, that mindset to improve, because we know it's, it's all right to just rock up to play, but if you want to improve as, as, a, as a cricketer, it means you got to upset your failures, obviously look at your techniques and improve on your game each day. It doesn't work just only at training sessions, because training sessions is only two and a half hours. So it's all about taking your own game and knowing, well, coach, what do you think I should work on? And then if you do it in your own time, and if you're not sure, you obviously could come back to him. One of the most common questions I get asked, having having coached and played in subbies and the VTCA, is which competition's better? And it would start a raging debate. I think they're very different in terms of the brand of cricket. Uh, facilities are a little bit different too, but uh, I know that Stratham will make a, a really good fist of their first season in subbies. You, you've got some good good blokes around you, Nick Sabatino and Lucas Kennedy, to name a couple. Um, so from what I saw last season, you guys will put in a, a strong effort, I'm sure. And best of luck. This season, go well, Omar. We'll be watching with interest. Uh, thanks for your time on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's been a, been a pleasure being here. Um, I'll say my first podcast. I enjoyed it. No, you did very well, mate. Thank you again. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.